As we continue to journey with Jesus towards the cross through this season of Lent, I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. As you find your way into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a good two-thirds, three-quarters of the way towards the back of your Bible. Um, Just a reminder of where we were last week. We saw a very short, abbreviated, and, and simple layout of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was baptized and in so doing received his identity. The proclamation over him was that this is my son, my beloved, in him I am well pleased. And that we who share in Christ's baptism share that same anointing that God would say to us, you are my children. I love you with the love that a parent has for a child. Jesus was baptized, and his identity was spoken clearly. Then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tried, to be tempted just as we are, and yet remain holy. Jesus was baptized, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted, and then, after that, was sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to invite people to repent and believe the good news. And so we pick up today... The disciples have been called, they've been active, they've been, they've been doing the work that Jesus has called them to. But then we come to a difference in mindset. Something new is heard by the disciples or perhaps heard more freshly than before. And so as we continue our Lenten journey, mindful of the ways in which we are tempted, mindful of the ways that we haven't fully turned towards God, we will hear this exchange between Peter and Jesus. But before we read from Mark 8, 31 through 38, let's pray together. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Speak with clarity into the ambiguity of our lives. Speak with conviction into the areas that we lack perseverance. And speak hope into the parts of our lives that are destitute. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. By the power of your Holy Spirit, illumine your word to us that we may be just like Peter, talking to Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Mark 8, 31 through 38. He, being Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you know me just a little bit, you will not be surprised to learn that one of my childhood heroes was Mr. Spock from Star Trek. I trust this is not a surprise really to anyone. One of the exchanges that always made me laugh growing up was in one of the Star Trek movies, and much like releases of Windows software, every other one of those is good. But Captain Kirk is going to take a fine young woman out to dinner, and Commander Spock chooses instead to turn away and and go off and take a walk by himself. And the woman, feeling bad for Spock, who of course has no emotions and is logical, instead she turns to him feeling bad and says, are you sure you won't change your mind? Spock looks back and says, is there something wrong with the one I have? I love the humor of how literal Mr. Spock is. You sure you won't change your mind? And to Spock, that sounds like, well, the one I have seems to be working and functioning properly, so why would I need to change my mind? The reason I like humor that's so literal like that, in part just because, I mean, puns and wordplay are always funny to me, um, but part of the reason that I like the literal humor is it takes the fullest extent of what our words can mean. Being literal takes the fullest extent of what our words can mean. And so to say, are you going to change your mind, is is a deeper move than just to make a different decision. Are we going to Arby's or Wendy's? I changed my mind. Doesn't quite explain the whole thing. I made a different decision. I decided that we wouldn't go either of those places and after all. To make a different decision can be on the fly, can be insignificant, can be about things that aren't really substantial in the grand scheme of things. We make different decisions all the time. We get new input, we make a different decision. But to change your mind, to change your mind has a deeper meaning. Almost to the point of thinking, wow, indeed. Almost to think the transformation of your mind which is a motif of the Apostle Paul throughout Romans and also a little bit in Corinthians. To think about changing your mind is to be changed, to become different. Change makes something different than how it was. To change your mind is to set a whole different set of priorities. It is to reevaluate. It is to be transformed from something that you were into something new and different. It's more than just making a different decision. This exchange between Peter and Jesus is confronting the fact that Peter does not want to change his mind about how things are. He has his mind set on truly good things. Things are good with Jesus. The disciples are doing good work. But now Jesus begins to predict his death. He begins to talk plainly about the suffering that he will go through, the suffering that we will observe on Good Friday services a few weeks from now. And when this confronts Peter, because he might be hearing this for the first time, when this idea, when the, the possibility of the suffering and rejection 
confronts Peter for the first time, instead of having his mind changed by the words of Jesus, his expectations adjusted of what following Jesus would look like, the path of discipleship all of a sudden being illuminated in a new way, instead of Peter's mind being changed, he digs in his heels and rebukes Jesus for Jesus speaking about his death. Let's not have the gravity of that lost on us. Peter rebukes Jesus. Now, we have the words of Jesus' rebuke to Peter. We don't know exactly what Peter said to Jesus. But Peter rebuked Jesus? Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? In this way, I invite us to take a page out of Peter's book and to consider the honest relationship that Peter had with Jesus, that he felt so bold that he could do such a thing. This is not dissimilar to lament, those moments where we are painfully aware of the world is not the way it should be. And it's not quite the same as rebuking God, but it is to express to God, this situation is not right. This is hard. This is difficult. When we hear difficult diagnoses, when we see another news report of a school shooting, when we hear of friends of our own congregation losing their lives, these are the moments in which we say, God, this is terrible. This just sucks. And there's no way around it. Peter rebukes Jesus because this is not the the mindset that Peter had for following Jesus. It's not what discipleship was supposed to look like to him. Be honest with God, just as Peter was honest with God. And if you're not sure quite what that looks like or how it goes, just start reading through the book of Psalms because they'll give you good hints on how to be honest with God. But know that being honest with God doesn't mean that everything you say is right. It doesn't mean that everything you say to God is correct. And in fact, a good traditional theological uh, cue for this is if you are always right when you talk to God, you're not actually talking to God. You're talking to yourself and playing the part of God in your own mind. And you're pretending to be God and Lord over your own life. Be honest with God, even to the points of being painful, painfully honest, and maybe praying so honestly that it may seem inappropriate. Because God can handle our honesty. I guarantee you that God can handle all of your honesty. So be honest with God, just as Peter was so honest and moved by hearing Jesus' words that he chose to rebuke Jesus. Be honest with God, but be just as open and honest to receiving God's rebuke and correction. Because our rebukes and our complaints and our laments don't always mean that we're right. But it does mean spiritually that we're finally getting somewhere because we're laying it out before God. We're putting it out there, all of it. All of who we are is being brought into the presence of God. And in those moments, we have opened ourselves up the most to God's correction and reproof. We don't forget the words from Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 4, that reminds us that the Lord disciplines those he loves, that in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, 
and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as God's beloved children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. We, like Peter, should be honest with God and also be corrected by God. But one thing I do want to bracket around that passage is the care and concern that we don't have omniscience to know what is God's punishment and what is God's reproof for every situation. Every cancer diagnosis and death isn't ours to know why it happened and for what purpose. Because then we're falling into the same trap that the disciples fell in when they said, Lord, why was this man born blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? As if that was a cause and effect reason for blindness. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus rebukes them and says, neither of them. He was born blind so that the glory of God might be demonstrated. So we are to be cautious with cause and effect, especially when assessing someone else's life. But for our own sake, in our Lenten time of preparing our hearts, of letting Christ be the light of our lives, in our own time of prayer and preparation over these 40 days that lead us to the cross, be honest with God and listen carefully for the moments where God corrects us, for the moments that I think God receives our honesty and then has us fully engaged to point out when we are simply not right, to admit when we are wrong, and when we do so, follow the prompt that's repeated through Mark over and over again. Repent and believe the good news, and then go out and live as if you believe it. What temptation is Peter falling prey to in Mark chapter 8. Peter and the disciples who have been out healing people and feeding people and performing miracles and casting out demons and sharing the good news of the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and that the kingdom has drawn near. Peter's temptation, he can't abandon what's comfortable and familiar. He can't sacrifice the way things are for any idea of how things could be. What does it look like for us to sacrifice our comfortability and familiarity? Peter, to give him full credit, because I think we can identify with Peter in this, Peter wants so bad for things to be good in a very human lens of what is good. And after all, they've got a good thing going. But suffering and rejection... Suffering and rejection are not in Peter's picture of what discipleship was supposed to look like. Suffering to the point of being harmed, rejection to the point of ostracism. Sure, they've been scared occasionally. The disciples have been in in a boat during a storm. They've been confused and concerned here and there. They've wondered how in the world are they going to feed these 5,000 people, but not rejected, not suffering not having deep blows to our heart that keep us up at night, that make tears well up in our eyes. Not that. No, no, not that. Peter and the disciples have a good thing going. But a change that they don't like is being told to them by Jesus quite plainly. And Peter cannot get his mindset changed. He can't set his mind on what, the Peter, on what Jesus is describing. Now, we might gloss over that rejected by the chief priests and the elders of the teachers of the law. 
We might think in our gospel reading, after all, well, those, those teachers of the law, they're, they're just those off, off in the distance people who are always just getting in fights with Jesus and always losing. Their approval doesn't matter. But I want you to consider that even though we read the gospels with that lens and we see Jesus continuously interpreting the law and making understanding more clear than the teachers of the law have, that rejection by the chief priests and the elders is a very substantial sacrifice to make. These aren't just people off in the distance. These are the people that you grew up with. These are respected leaders in your own community. To understand the visual so that we don't glow by it too quickly, I want you to consider what would it be looked like if you were rejected, not just corrected, and hey, you could have said this better, done this better, but rejected by all of the elders. And so just for a moment... If you have ever served as an elder, either here at North Holland or somewhere else, I want you to stand for just a moment. If you've ever served as an elder, please stand. Now, if you look around, you consider, these are not people that we don't know. These are people that you probably respect. These are people that have taught you lessons in children and worship in Sunday school and youth group. To be rejected by all of these people, rejected, fully rejected, not corrected, but rejected, would be painful. And what would it be like to be here if you were rejected by each one of these people? Now, elders can have a seat. These aren't the rejecting type of people. But to make that point clear, we have to understand the type of sacrifice that Jesus is talking about when he says that they would be rejected by all of the leading teachers of the community, that you would feel displaced. I don't know if I can imagine that type of rejection. It probably would mean I wouldn't be here. That's the type of rejection and ostracism that Jesus is talking about, and Peter can't imagine having any of that. And think of how we would justify, just as Peter, I'm sure, is. Well, Jesus, you keep outsmarting those elders and chief priests. You know better than they do. How can anything go that wrong? And yet that's the type of rejection that if we follow Jesus is possible. Not always an absolute, but always possible. And so Jesus rebukes Peter Interestingly enough, he looks at his disciples and then rebukes Peter as if he appreciates Peter's honesty in prayer, but also knows that more people are watching and that this understanding, this setting of the mind has to be cleared up, not just for Peter, because then he could take Peter aside, but for everyone else who overheard. This mindset, this setting of Peter's mind has to be corrected for him and it has to be made clear to every disciple who's listening. And so Jesus rebukes Peter. God can handle our honesty, and we should also be ready to handle God's honesty with us. And then Jesus describes taking up your cross. And sometimes, once again, we can lose the gravity of this because we often domesticate the cross. But for the disciples who who don't yet know fully and, and grasp and understand that Jesus will be crucified, for them, the cross is not the thing for Jesus. They see crosses because the Romans love to leave crosses up as reminders of, don't let this be you. These are just for bad people. These are for rabble-rousers. And so for the disciples to hear Jesus say, take up your cross, 
is to say, that's not for you. That's not for us. We are not those people. We're not those people. This would be like for us to hear from Jesus, take up your dose of the lethal injection. That's not for us. That's for those bad people. And yet Jesus describes in a very non-domesticated way, nothing is tamed down, the exchanging of your life to losing your life to gain it, and that there's nothing we can do to win our own soul. That's not for the disciples. The disciples are having their mindset changed and realizing that there might be suffering involved in following Jesus, that a faithful following of Jesus might not be so popular after all, that there just might be substantial loss and ostracism. Cross is very literal to them, and the rejection of the chief priests and the elders is a more painful concept than perhaps we would give credit to in our normal reading. But we remember where we're headed, that we're headed towards the cross, that we're headed towards the early hours when Peter rejected Jesus because he was scared. Lent is about reminding our own mindset that while, while serving God can be good and joyful and fulfilling, at different times it will also include suffering and loss. And so it's not always a miserable experience. In fact, it's fulfilling because we find our life in the losing of it. But to know that this suffering is possible, to know that the sacrifices and rejection that we might face will be painful. These are hard truths to wrestle with. But take heart as you wrestle with these hard truths. Because your identity as a child of God does not change. And that if God is correcting you and sending you into a place where you'll be rejected by others, it does not change or affect the fact that God has already called you as one of his own. That that cannot and will not change. Because the Lord disciplines those he love and loves, and he loves us as his own children. What would you do for your own children to know that God would even do more so for you? So in Lent, be honest like Peter. Be open to receiving a rebuke, just as Peter seems to have received Jesus' rebuke. And it doesn't mean that we fully understand it yet either, because Peter's not done making mistakes, just like we're not done making mistakes. Peter's not done learning, just as we're not done learning. Peter's not done not understanding, just as we are not done learning and confronting our misunderstandings. There might be that one thing that you keep putting off, the sin not that you struggle with, but the one that you can't bring yourself to struggle against. And you tell yourself that you won't next time, but you know that you're lying to yourself. That's the one. That's the one that might test your devotion of sacrifice. To think about the thing that you could say that might make you feel afraid or ashamed. What's worth being ashamed of? Jesus makes a very clear statement. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. What's worth being ashamed of when we think about having our minds set upon things above and that Christ will return and make all things new and that we want to be with Christ then means we also have to be with Christ in the times of sacrifice and when it might mean loss for us. Having your mind set in the right way and place. Horse blinders are a double analogy. Because horse blinders can be the thing that keep us focused on one thing, and there's a time and place to be focused and dead set on one thing and one thing only and pursue it with all of your might. But in this instance, Peter is having the horse blinders taken off so that he can see the bigger picture of what Jesus is all about. And there's probably also a time where we have our blinders set up, where we're just looking up and above. But that's not how we live our entire lives because the good work of healing and feeding people and proclaiming good news to the poor and the oppressed, that all has to continue. But there's different times to focus in. As theologian Karl Barth once said, but also um, in the wake of Billy Graham's death, it's worth noting Billy Graham also popularized this phrase. How do we live your life with the Bible in one hand and your newspaper in the other? Now, you can find that quote attributed to a lot of people. Um, I think D.L. Moody, it's often attributed to him. Billy Graham popularized it by saying it. Uh, Theologian Karl Barth um, is also probably the original sayer of the phrase. But to set your mind on the whole picture means that the troubles of this world don't go away. The pain of rejection doesn't leave us. The struggle with our sin does not magically disappear. But what it does mean is that we can be aware of the pain in this world and also to know that that is not all there is and that's not where it ends. Repent and believe the good news and live as if you really believe it. In closing, as we think about the mindset for Lent of being aware of what ministry we're called to here on earth for those who are lost down and out, those who need encouragement and support, those who would be ostracized and rejected, that those are also the ones whom Jesus has called to himself. In closing, hear these words of mindset from 2 Corinthians 4. I've read this passage a few times over the last couple weeks, especially as we've thought about cancer diagnoses and other painful things in this world. Hear these words from 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not only on what is seen, but also on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. God, help us to fix our eyes and set our minds on your priorities, on your goals for our lives. Give us courage. Give us perseverance. 
Give us wisdom and also give us a willing spirit to hear your voice, that we don't just talk to ourselves and always find ourselves right, but that we truly talk to you, not in simple ways, but in deep ways where we offer all of who we are to you, that we might hear from you and be corrected by you as well. Lord, speak into our lives this Lent, and may we come to you in full honesty, even when we feel like rebuking the way the world has become. Lord, we pray that you prepare us to hear from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.